Welcome to the Joy of Leadership podcast. I'm your host, Dr. James Taylor. On this podcast, we explore the passion and purpose of leadership. And we do so by talking with recognized leaders who do not merely have jobs, but men and women who have been called to their chosen sphere of influence. All right. Hey, Landon, it's great to have you here. Thank you for jumping in on the podcast today. Uh, we are covering the joy of leadership. And for those of you who don't know, Landon is the senior pastor at Hebron Church and is also my pastor and uh, someone I enjoy going to every week and, uh, and really learning from the Word of God. So, so we, we did kind of jump in just pr- before the show talking about the joy of leadership, <laughs> right? And that yes. can be a challenge sometimes, finding the joy. Yes. Uh, let, let's let's kind of jump in and start there on, on some of the challenges of leadership, but also pastoral leadership. Yes. Well, I'd say two things. Obviously, uh, one of the keys in any form of leadership, but particularly pastoral leadership, is that your joy has to come from the Lord foremost. That's right. There are some things that help uh, move you toward joy. I, I, any of us know in any organization, in any leadership, and even ministry, the best part of ministry is the people, but also the most difficult part right. are the people. Uh, the, the most things that bring joy are seeing God at work in the lives of people, the most grieving things are when, just as we were talking about a few minutes ago too, when the image of God is marred because of our pursuits of sin or our wounding of each other. And so uh, Hebrews 12 is, is really, uh, let's we set our eyes, fix our eyes on Jesus, right. the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross so the cross is going to be the most difficult ministry assignment anyone has ever had in the history of the world. But there was somewhere else he set his eyes so that the cross was even bearable. There was somewhere else he was setting his eyes on what was there. And so Hebrews says he, he set his eyes for the joy of the Lord, right? He, he set his eyes on the joy. And so that's, that's that drawing, that's that moving through the most difficult aspects of ministry because those aren't the end of all things. There is joy on the Absolutely. other side. So, so one of the things that I, I chat about with our students all the time here is this idea of calling, right? If, if I think, you know, we're, we're about the same age. Yeah. And, and I think we heard an awful lot when we were younger about the idea of pursuing careers. They've got to make a certain amount of money and it's got to be this kind of thing. Yeah. And, and it's one thing, frankly, with the millennial group, uh, that I've been pleased with is that they are asking questions about work-life bi- balance earlier than, frankly, I think I was for sure. Sure. Um, and, I, and and so one of the things that we really emphasize with them is this idea of calling. That when when God has called us to something, that calling does allow us to weather those bad days. That we talk about the joy of leadership, but it doesn't mean every day is joyful. No, I, no, absolutely. And I would say, it, it just, just a word on that generation. I, I think two things have come back that are influencing them, significance and satisfaction. Right. So uh, what can I do that is of significance? And then what is particularly satisfying? Now, generations in front of us have not always had those opportunities, right? Because responsibilities were there. So it wasn't necessarily about whether you felt self-fulfilled as the dairy farmer or the iron worker or some of those things. So Kevin DeYoung in his book, Just Do Something, is a really helpful book for really this generation that's had more options at careers than any that have come before us. And so how do we, it can sometimes be um, 
paralyzing for them, you know, because because of the, the many options that are there. So they, they don't want to waste it. Hey, right. I got one shot. I don't want to waste this life. But with regard to coming back to when you know you're called. So that's what keeps me. I, I, I've spent, you know, multiple weeks this summer at camps and I always take time to minister to other ministers there. And I'm always honest. I start the first night with them together to say, I have never had a day I wanted to quit on Jesus. I have had a lot of days I wanted to quit ministry. Mm-hmm. Uh, even in, in coming here, should the Lord give us November, it'll be four years. Uh, you know, we, we did Psalm 23 this summer at the right. church. And every path that God will call us to go on is, is the righteous path. The one he's leads, right? It doesn't mean it's the easy path. But though not every path is easy, they do all come with the promise of his empowering. And so sometimes it's his empowering, you know, even as I've come over here in four years, we've weathered a global pandemic. I I stepped into a large church that historically has been declining for 10 to 12 years. And you have to find answers, you know, in in theory. Uh, And then as you come in as a leader, you may have different convictions uh, about ways things should be uh, done. And, And so that's not always going to line up. And so <laughs> if, I, if I were still over there just because people have been really, really kind to me, I would not be there. <laughs> right. right? Uh, and there's a spiritual mindset that takes place. Like I, th- this spiritual mindset is so important with this idea of, of kind of embracing our call. I have, I have met pastors. I, there's two guys particularly that I, that I've uh, met with, met with over the years who are living in a pastoral life. And yet I can't say they really have embraced the idea of calling and they're pastors, yeah. right? And yet, I also know a great friend of mine who's an accountant, who is a full-time minister. Yes. He just happens to be an accountant. Yes. You know, that there is this yeah. mindset of calling that even during our hard days, when we know that God's called us to our vocation yeah. uh, as an avocation that has a spiritual outlet, then that's such a, that's such a crucial piece. I, th- I think it really is. It, you know, I think back, I was in ninth grade when I felt God calling me to ministry. Now, what that meant as a ninth grader was I realized in that moment, that summer, Glorietta, New Mexico, I had one life. And so I didn't want to waste it. Uh, I wanted it to be live for the Lord. Now, however, he would do that. I thought it would be medical missions. And as I said often, uh, I realized soon after that that I might uh, vomit on patients. <laughs> and that would be a detriment to the gospel. That's right. So the, the rest of my journey has really been a the Lord ordering my steps. I thought I would be a business administrator for church. I thought I'd be a youth minister. Uh, I find myself now as a lead pastor and then the stuff with being a professor and, and the other doors that the Lord is, he's just continued to open. And, and so I say a couple things there. I just know without a doubt, I was called to say, Lord, here's my life. That's right. however you want to use that. Now he has refined that. And there've been two things with each refining. Number one has been opportunity. So he's opened doors and then two desire. So he's worked sort of that Philippians two, that working from the inside out, both to will and to work toward uh, his plans in our life there. Well, he has done that. He's done opportunities and then he's given, I just call them hunger shifts, Mm -hmm. you know, now, so there there have been seasons. And then what I would say with where I'm at Hebron was a very specific ministry reassignment, the way that it was brought about. I didn't send my resume. I didn't know about Hebron. I didn't know about HCA. I, I didn't submit my name. And then even going through the process, I was real honest about where I am as a shepherd. And so we saw it as a ministry reassignment. So even in the time I've been at Hebron, there have been other churches who've called and asked me to consider. 
but it is this particular calling to That's this right. place that seemed really clear. Now, in the same way, some people can be called to be a wonderful pediatrician. Right. People can be called to be an engineer. And really, even some of those doors open up opportunities for the gospel that pastor does not open. Mm-hmm. So some of these jobs in IT and, and to use gifts. And so I, uh, just one other word I would say here is some people have in their mind that Christian service is supposed to be misery, but getting back to our first thing, joy. That's right. God intends that... Yeah. Our life would be full of joy that, that is a fruit of his spirit and presence in our lives. And so then even our vocation is a part of joy in the Lord because we delight in that. Now, if we have responsibility to put food on the table, it may not be about an abundance of joy. We, we need to do whatever our responsibilities sure. are. But in the seasons that God gives us those opportunities to really pursue ways that he's wired us. Arabella right now, we're, we're in an art room as we record this. She's thinking about art therapy as a career, whether she's going to end there or not. But she has particular joys as she creates art. That's right. And that's a reflection of the Lord. The Lord is creative. The Lord created everything from nothing. Mm-hmm. And so we can reflect his joy, whether it's the arts, uh, whether it's academics, what, whatever they are. And the biggest part is just knowing, number one, my life is not my own. Number two, these are particular ways the Lord has ordered me. And so wherever he wants to then give me opportunities and then the abilities and then the desires, when these three come in line, then there's going to be a whole lot of joy then in using all of those things together for the sake of the gospel. Mm-hmm. I've always said that my joy comes from Christ, mm-hmm. but it comes from living in the center of Christ's will. And that can be, I mean, for me, that has been sales for a period of time. Uh-huh. Uh, that was in a, several different roles in different capacities. And yet my level of joy didn't change because I felt like that's where God had me for that season. And I was going to do the best that I could possibly do right. uh, in, in that season. And so I think that's a, I think that's a really, I think it's a big part. It's funny. One of the themes that, that we keep tapping into on, on this program is the, is just the idea of how we tend to direct our steps way in advance. And I am forever yes. hearing this from young adults who are in high school setting or even young adults who are, who are newly out of the high school setting or in college settings where, where they're trying to do this plan that's like this 20-year plan journey yeah. for their life. And, and really what you're emphasizing as well is, uh, you know, you, you hadn't planned on being at this, at this position. No. If just Landon was choosing, there were some other paths to go down. Yes. And yet God really directed your path. And I think that's such a crucial lesson, not just for young people, but also for adults who maybe are walking wayward or placing other things in that, in that path to understand yes. that letting him direct our path and being faithful in that next step is the key. Well, I just prayed with a brother at lunch before this. You know, Proverbs says, many are the plans in a man's heart, but it's the Lord's purpose that prevails. And so we try to be as diligent as we can. Even right now in my life, we celebrated 180 years as Hebron. My mindset really is on Hebron 200. Mm -hmm. So that's 20 years. Now, the reality is, should the Lord give me that, I will have outlived my grandfather and my father. Mm. So I, I have a hope and an aim, but I also have a little dose of reality to say I may not get the full 20, right? And so... What are the things that we hope to see should the Lord give us 20 years with that faith family? But I know a key part of that are really some things that we're trying to do this very next year. So year one, this next year are some important things as we put deacons in place, we put elders in place, our 
Our young adult and collegiate ministry is excelling right now. We have some stability in our student ministry. Those are all things. And even as I've sat in these deacon interviews and had conversations with our leadership team, I was like, just if the Lord gives us a year from now, we will be, by his grace, even healthier than we are now, stronger than we are now. Well, then that gives us 19 now toward Mm -hmm. that 20. Mm -hmm. And so I I have the 20, and I know some really big things, but then I have the five, and I have the one, and, and yet the reality is I only have this day. That's right. And the, the biggest part is um, I'm, in, I'm dispensable. The only one who's indispensable is Jesus. So I have some things that I feel a burden in lining his church up with his word because, again, it's not my church, and I'm going to give an account to the chief shepherd, and I never forget that. So while I'm here and while he gives me that opportunity, and I just understand each day is a grace to take a few steps further in what we're trying to do. And it is good to plan. It is okay to plan. Right. The problem is when our hopes are in those plans rather than the one who's over all those things. And as you and I both know, there have been uh, shifts and maybe we thought we were going to go a different direction. And I've tried all summer to communicate to students, God's plans are always for our best. Right. Even if we can't see it or feel it, in the immediate, they are always far best, and we and we can know that. And so that's the that's the the picture there of I'm a planner by nature, but I realize from James I'm also a mist, a wave, and a vapor. Mm-hmm. And so I I'd never I never say hey this is where we're going to be. I always clearly will say should the Lord be very gracious toward us. This is what we're moving toward. This is what we're hoping. Yet at the same time, what I would say to those students, Tara and I are here. We had a wonderful, thriving church where we were in Mississippi. We moved into a new building, but we are here because our lives are not our own. So when a different ministry reassignment came, a plan changed. Mm -hmm. It wasn't my plan that changed, but the Lord brought something into our path. Well, then our lives are not our own. We left family members. Mm -hmm. uh, We left friends. We left left places where our children were thriving uh, to come because, again, our lives are not our own, and that was him guiding and stepping in there. So yeah, yeah, it, we can completely relate as you as you know. You know, part of my story when we first moved from New England, where we were also at a thriving school, where you know when we announced that we were leaving, you know, my senior leadership thought we were crazy. What yeah. are you doing? This is this is we're, God's blessing in such huge ways. But it was God's call, and we moved to Savannah, Georgia, which felt like a foreign country. Absolutely. You know, it just felt like such a different thing, and and a thousand miles away from everybody we we knew, but the call secured it. The call, even on some of our days when we thought, what have we done? You know, uh, and yet that call was what reassured. So I I like the idea of us living with God's direction, but but as you've underscored, it doesn't mean that we live in a lackadaisical or a haphazard way. No. God is the author of our intellect, and, and he gives us abilities and skills yeah. to be able to use for his purpose. So as you're planning out, now, and I love the fact that you kind of say, hey, we, you know, we've got a one-year, we've got a three-year, we've got a five-year, I've mm-hmm. got a 20-year. As you're looking at that idea of casting vision, casting, you know, really emphasizing your mission through the kind of application of vision, tell me what that visioning process looks like for you like sure well uh, you know it's different in some ways in in my responsibility so let's say i mean ephesians 4 and colossians 1 both say as a pastor my responsibility is to aim toward the full maturity of god's people who are entrusted to us so i don't get to write my job description 
well, what I have to figure out then, because when we make plans, we have to know that for which we aim. Mm-hmm, because mm-hmm. if we don't know that for which we aim, we wander. We, we are aimless, right? And so uh, we waste time. My aims that are most important are already spelled out for mm-hmm. me in the Bible from a pastoral standpoint. So then what I have to figure out from a philosophical approach is how do we achieve this then? What are the means we use to go about that? And sometimes those are flexible, and sometimes there are some things that have been the same from mm-hmm. the beginning of the first church, right? And so it's figuring out here in this culture, in this environment, what are the ways that we can effectively pursue seeing people who are fully mature in Christ, who are disciples, who are making disciples, and that multiplied effect, mm-hmm. you know? And so as I think about Oh, then a part of this in 20 years, there may be a certain number of churches that we want to see planted or replanted. Well, then we need to be able to be raising up people who we can send out. And that all factors into the maturing. We, we don't want to send just immature folks. You know, it's like, good luck. We want to be able to raise up and multiply so that other healthy churches are, are benefiting as we plant them and replant them. The process itself, though, is what I'm like. I'm always so intrigued with with different leaders who who process things so differently. I know of some people who the way that they vision is literally by locking themselves in a dark room mm. for two days yeah. and figuring that out. Some have to think out loud in front of in front of their executive staff or yeah. something. You know, as you, as you're casting those things, is that something that's a solo operation? Is that something that's sure. a group context? What does that look like? So the first part for me begins of, uh, and, and let me just say it this way. So when I came into Hebron. Uh, you do triage like in an mm-hmm. ER. They're going to deal with the most pressing emergency when you come in that ER. There may be some secondary or tertiary matters that they can delay, but if you have an artery that's bleeding, we got to stop that right now, right? And so even as I've come into Hebron, there's some things that were immediate you, you need to address, you need to figure out. And then there are some things that you hope to move towards. So for instance, this church didn't have deacons or elders. I'm not going to start that day one. I don't even know these folks, right? But there are some things with regard to convictions and processes that can be changed day one. Right now, let me give you an example of, as I think about that 20-year plan, all right, where are the areas that we still need to see health Mm -hmm. in our organization, in our church, right? And one of the areas that I've had a particular burden is just a culture of prayer that we are developing. So I can take you in my study on my whiteboard I've listed, like in every facet of our congregation, just ways that I think prayer can be cultivated, and especially unhurried prayer in particular. I also have a couple other bigger areas uh, that are there. Recreation is, is a part of that. That used to be a vital ministry, and sometimes that's a vital ministry of getting people in the front door. Some of these adult leagues, some, some of these things, right? I, I've listed some ways that are, are great for evangelism and some ways that are great for discipleship. And then what I did was I brought all our leadership team into my study, and I said, look, here, here's where the Lord's laid on me sort of this next area of growth. As we think about next year in particular, mm-hmm. how do we cultivate that? And so then I have our leadership team involved, some of our lay leaders, and then our highest staff leadership. And then we'll kick off here in a few weeks the product of what we'll be doing on Sunday nights uh, with unhurried prayer that will be developed in three ways. We're going to do some of it missionally out in our community. We'll do some of it with our connect groups and we'll do some of it corporately. Mm-hmm. But all that started over a year to a year and a half ago with me behind a desk, just saying, Lord, where's the next step we need to mature as a congregation? 
where what's not being reflected in Acts that two is they devoted themselves to prayer. You think about the breaking of bread, fellowship. And so that, that started that process over a year to year and a half ago, up on the whiteboard, bringing folks into that room, praying, looking, and then having an opportunity as we thought toward this fall, here's a way that we can implement that. So it's, it started with, yeah, of, of, of a burden, putting things down, mm-hmm. refining, bringing people into that, and then how do we get it from a whiteboard to a practice within our organization? As a guy who has to live a, a lot of my life in strategy and planning, I've re- I have really enjoyed uh, watching you lead through the eldership and deacon process. It's bold because basically what you're really doing is giving away a part of your authority. I am. You know, yes. yeah. and, and for a lot of guys, uh, that would be terrifying. Yes. You know, and I think you have to be really a confident leader, which you are, uh, to be able to articulate uh, why? And the, the answer, obviously, is because it's the biblical example. Right. And so you're, but you, you've still made that decision to, to launch and leap into yes. that mindset to, to step by step. And I, and I love the fact that it has just been a very methodical and biblical approach walking through God's word to see why this is the best model. Yeah. And, uh, and, and I, have, I have really, really enjoyed watching that take place. Um, tell me, tell me about, you know, some of the greatest passions that you have, uh, in the role of your, you know, as a senior leader, what are some of the things that just stoke your, your fires the most? What are the things that really get you fired up for, for ministry, for the calling that you have? You know, for me, uh, and I, I want to say one word on that if I can on, yes, it is a releasing of authority as we move toward elders, but God had a purpose, I think, in that plurality because Mm -hmm. no one person is perfect. No one person is gifted in every area. And so the church itself benefits when you get multiple gifts in that room and just accountability. How many of these guys who've run the church like a CEO uh, have have run into problems and then even a lack of accountability, Mm -hmm. uh, a lack of even submitting? You know, one of the things I do each week is I submit myself 1.30 1.30 every Monday, anyone who wants to critique my sermon from the Sunday before can come. Anyone on staff, anyone that's a member in our church can How often come do they show up, by the way? You've always said that on well, Sunday. They do. I've never come. I'm going well, to have to come it, one day. It does have to be availability. <laughs> there's no doubt. But we, you know, at the highest, we would probably have five or six okay. members who've come. And then a ton of our staff, and especially and, our teaching staff. And is that a critical time, or is that more yeah, of a time well, of encouragement? Yeah, well, we work to make it. So Nathan and I oh, really? try to model. And, and so even if I were with Chet, so I, I, had, I had some other meetings, and so I wasn't able to be in there. Chet, our discipleship pastor, preached this last week. Great job. And he did an excellent job. He didn't deal with some of the things that are the pushbacks in those last two parables mm. that, that are referenced there with the mustard seed. And some will say, well, it doesn't actually grow into a big tree. You know, some of the pushback is there. And even the leaven and those things, he didn't even really mention. So if I'd been in there Monday, I would have said, hey, why didn't you push further here? What was your reasoning that's there? And, and even with illustration. So one time Nathan used an illustration and I just said, hey, man, here's my real question about this illustration. Or, hey, what about this point here? So we try to model that. Mm. The, the highest part of our group tries to model so that the other guys will feel welcome to jump in. Uh, and to be honest, because none of us I have a Ph.D. in preaching. I teach doctoral students in preaching. When a sermon tanks, nothing causes <laughs> less joy in my life than when it's not a good communication event. Uh, but this is probably a good example to talk about as a leader 
if all I had to do was prepare a sermon, then it should be a home run every That's week. Right. But that is not all I have to do in our right. organization right. and an organization that is, is as large as ours. But even when you're the solo pastor at a, at a rural church, you're wearing so many hats. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so it's how do you balance the, those things? So back to your original suggestion here of uh, a particular joy for me is when I do feel like I have faithfully communicated the word and it helps people love Jesus more. Not say, hey, man, that was a great sermon, or you're a great preacher, but man, look at how incredible Jesus is. That's a particular joy for me. When we see folks who go, uh, for instance, some of our children may go to grandma's church, you know, and they may not do some things, and the children begin to see the difference in substance of the, for which we aim mm-hmm. and why. Or even as we have that unhurried prayer time, and, and children may ask, hey, why don't we do that at Grandma's church? You know, this sort of thing. When you begin to see some of the things that you do for a catechism purpose, a teaching purpose, and the lights begin to turn on, man, there's joy. And, and obviously, there's no greater joy than when we see people really being changed by the gospel. And then they can't help it, but the gospel's coming out in their conversations and their relationships. Mm-hmm. And there's and overflowing. And so that's why our, our greatest strategy for evangelism is not just a, a high-level event on our campus. It's really seeing our people transformed by the gospel. And then you can't hide that at your workplace. Mm-hmm. You can't hide that on your ball teams. It, it, it just comes out naturally because you're being changed and there's a joy that comes. And so for me, there's a, a particular joy really in seeing the multiplied discipleship when the lights begin to, to click for folks with regard to Christ and growing in Christ, there's nothing more encouraging. And mm-hmm. e- even this summer, just some emails, folks have been in different places. They've been in vacation, but it makes them recognize some differences and they'll write and send some encouraging words. And, and you're like, they're getting it, Lord. And, and, right. if, and if that's the case, it's his grace that's at right. work in all that's our right. lives. You know? Let's talk about the balance between family and ministry, yeah, uh, it's it's a it's a it's a hard job because you never turn off. No, you know uh, how how does how does that play out in in balancing being a great husband and dad? Yeah, uh, in addition to being a pastor, talk talk to us a little bit about that balance. So I will say the honest part about ministry is I, I never want my wife or children to hate or dislike the church or Jesus because I'm a pastor. So I've tried to work to make sure that my wife and my children don't have to guess whether they're a priority. Now, I I may say my children may feel that better than Tara does at times, uh, and not that I presume upon us, but uh, maybe because I'm doing sports with the boys or taking the girls to things, uh, they feel that. But, But this is part of it. So I coach their teams because I want them to know they're important. I, I don't coach because I think I'm the best coach out there. Mm-hmm. I coach because I want them to know they matter to me, and we can control the culture of that environment. We can make sure Christ is an important part. As we think about identity, you and I were talking about that before. Our identity is not ultimately going to be found in how far we can hit that baseball or how fast we can throw the baseball, and that's going to fade eventually. So if all our identities wrapped up in that, that's not lasting very long. So it's a chance to shepherd them as well as all those others entrusted to say our identity in Christ is never going to change. And that's the adopted, loved, forgiven, redeemed. This is who we are at our core, and that's not going to change. So there's, there's a chance to help shape uh, my children that way. So I attend their functions. I put them on my calendar. So from a practical standpoint, 
Fridays are our official day off at the office. And so I try to make sure that Tara and I either do a breakfast, a brunch, or a lunch every Friday. Uh, now, some things come in, doctor's appointment, you know, the, but, but we try to make sure to really protect. And I protect that on that, on that calendar. And then if you were to go right now, every one of Adoniram's eighth grade football games is already in my calendar for the fall so that they can know and I don't schedule meetings around. That may mean that I'm doing work at the house later Mm -hmm. is what it may mean. And so even Saturdays, like I've tried to make Saturdays a priority. When they were little and they didn't have school, then we could do whatever we wanted on a Monday or Tuesday. But that's not real life. Now they're in schools. And so I have to make sure Saturdays don't stink for Mm -hmm. my kids because I'm always working on the sermon. So the reality is it's always back here. It's always in the back of my mind, you know. But I try not to let that show outwardly. And then when they go to bed, somewhere around 8 o'clock Saturday night, that's when I turn my full attention back to whatever I need to finish mm-hmm. or to complete so that they're not robbed of a Saturday. And so just trying to make sure that there is a, a priority on them. And, uh, and I've tried to do that at every level. And thankfully, most of the churches I've, I've served, I've served three churches now, and all have been very supportive of my marriage, my parenting, uh, and our families, you know. And so that's uh, – but if you don't make it a priority, I can tell you no one else is. Mm-hmm. And if you don't put it on your calendar, no one else is going to put that on your calendar. Tara is better and the vacations, and we did that even last week. Uh, and I, I wish I could have unplugged just where we find ourselves in some things happening with, with the church. I wasn't able to fully unplug. Uh, but it was still a wonderful trip. Taught my kids how to play hearts and spades. <laughs> and the youngest one, Alistair, uh, beat me in spades, and it, it was a big night. And then Arabella beat me in hearts one time, and it was a big night. So those are fun memories, right. you know. And, right. and those happen best because Tara is adamant, hey, we're, we're going to go away, you right. know. And so right. I, I've done a, a lot of reading, and, and frankly, one of my, my research strains is typically that kind of role of leader. And being a senior leader in any type of job is hard. Add in the ministry piece, and yeah. it becomes even more difficult. And, yes. and I, I know you have experienced this. I know I have experienced this. Because there's a spiritual context to what we do, uh, you know, if, if somebody's like, swears around me or something, oh, yeah. you know, they, and then they recognize I'm, I'm there. I mean, it's just, it's kind of humorous, you know, yeah. to see their reaction. So it tends to place even more division. So one of the things that I've always been intrigued with is that it is so easy for us to be a role but not to be just a guy, like yeah. to be a real person. Yeah. Is that a struggle? How do you, how do you compensate for that? Well, I'd say that, uh, you know, even here, God's blessed me with a couple good guy friends who are, are just folks I can be absolutely real with. Now, as you and I know, we don't have our professional side and then we let our hair down sure. and this is what, you know, we, we're the same one way or, or the other. But in particular, these are guys who are friends who aren't wanting anything from me. Mm-hmm. They're not trying to manipulate a, a situation or uh, they really want to be a connect group leader. You know, they, they're just guys who want to be friends. And, uh, and so that's been a real gift. It, it has been hard to navigate sometimes friendships because sometimes you have felt like people are friends for reasons. Mm-hmm. They have their reasons and motivations. Uh, but the genuine, you can tell those over time. You, motivations come out pretty quickly, and 
And, and so being able to develop that. And, and so I have guys that are in a group chat. I probably text them at least once or twice a day or no, there's something it. funny. And they're in uh, your ministry thing. now. Uh-huh. Yeah. That's awesome. And, and, then, and that's the important part. Like there are these pastors who say, hey, you, you can't be, you can't have these friends or you can't be absolutely real. In every setting I've had, my accountability partner has been within my ministry mm-hmm. setting um, because I think that's one of the best ways to model mm-hmm. for our people what that looks like. Uh, and you know, they're like, well, the pastor can't really share his thoughts. Now I, I don't like, I don't, I'm not running down a staff right. person or even another member in front. Of, I'm, I'm not doing any of those things, uh, that that's going to be, but, but what I need most in those relationships as a father or a husband or just a man, I am ultimately real and transparent with them. And Did you initiate that accountability relationship? Well, it, you know, it started because the two of us in particular, well, all three of us, we have our, our youngest are, are same ages. Oh, and good. so just in, we were active. And so it just sort of grew and grew and grew. And then intentionally uh, in coming here, I lost what I had in Tupelo. And so these guys are now the guys that hold me accountable that travel and go to a hotel. Mm-hmm. These are guys that are texting. These are guys that are praying with me for and purity. And, for, mm-hmm. and, yeah. and so it, it's important uh, to me to, to model that for our crew. And then to, I need it. Right. I, I need right. it. So. You know, one of the great tragedies that I'm seeing take place uh, over this last decade is the rate of pastors who are leaving the role, yes. who are leaving the position is just tragic. Yeah. What, what do you think you attribute that to? Is, is that the lack of accountability? Is that the, the loneliness of the position? What's your thought? Yeah. So I, I think a couple of things. I think one where there has not been an in intentional accountability, it certainly made it easier to pursue sin. Uh, this summer, I, I, one of the teachings I did with students was, it, when tempted, if we don't run to Jesus, we will most likely run to sin. That's right. So this, Paul talks about training ourselves for righteousness. There's a song we used to sing years ago of, teach my song to rise to mm-hmm. you, right? And, and so there's this this hope of um, running to him so that we don't run sin. So I, I think there's a lack of accountability. I think there, I think what we've seen with some of the largest ones lately has been a presumption of, well, it's okay for me to sin. Right. And, and some of the verbiage has even been, well, as if God owes me this sin. And the reality is God owes us nothing, but especially not right. allowing us to pursue sin. And, and what happened in some of those was if there was someone speaking directly into that person's life, it certainly wasn't being heeded. Mm-hmm. In some of these, we found like, we, we have found that there were people who helped facilitate sin rather than forsake sin. And so as a leader, you need to make sure you're surrounding yourselves mm-hmm. with people who can speak plainly and honestly to you. I right. had a, a woman in our church ask with our highest leadership team, do I put yes people on that team? And I said, absolutely not. I don't need yes people. I need people who will speak plainly to me and to save me from me at times, right? I don't need just obstinate people who dislike me. Sure. But I don't, I don't expect people to say yes, and then we all go off the cliff together, you know. And so I think there's been part of that. I think there's been burnout. And, and I think, you know, there, there are days in my own life. My life, your life, would be different if we weren't ministers. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and even, as you said, the spiritual dynamics. So even, say, when we release someone from a position, you know, if you're, you're at a law office and, and someone gets released, everyone's coming to the law office tomorrow, right. you know. Right. But when you've worshipped together and families are involved and 
it, that has been one of the heaviest dynamics for right. me of, of when relationships get a little crossways right. in a faith family. And then even for, even from an organizational standpoint, because there are times that folks serving in some of those staff positions may need to make a transition right. for the good of that person right. and the good of the organization. And it's just compounded from the ministerial, spiritual right. implications that are there. It's almost like people start to, be, start to kind of buy their lie. I, I, uh, you and I both know that I think probably people treat us a little bit smarter than we, we really are. Absolutely. You know? yeah. and, and when you're away on a camp setting, you've done a lot more, a lot more camp speaking than I have. But uh, when you're away at a camp setting, people treat you really special. And, they t- you know, and I think there are guys who begin to say, oh, I am that guy. Oh, yeah. Like, I am. Yeah, yeah. And, and that's, I, I think that's usually kind of the first step towards falling apart. Well, that's know? where you and I have good helpmates. That's you know? right. And I can hear Karen saying, JT, <laughs> I know you, boy. You know, and, and Tara is a wonderful helpmate that's for right. me. Neither one of us uh, married shrinking violence. No, no. Sure. <laughs> you know, Tara, I, I may have a sermon and then think it's the worst ever. And she's like, oh, it was good. You know, and then, or I may think, hey, this was really good. She's like, it was all right. You know, and so she's always a balancing right. factor. And, right. and we're blessed to have that that's because... Right. That environment, a platform-driven, let's call it a platform in privilege. Mm-hmm. I mean, when you begin to move into green rooms, when right. you begin to move right. into honorariums, you know, and, and so this is why for me, even as I've traveled, I don't have a set honorarium. Mm-hmm. I made a commitment with the Lord. Uh, I would never have a set fee that I charge. It's hard to do that when you follow a guy who sure. washed feet, you know. Yeah, and, that's right. Now, look, you, you got to have wisdom of we all only have so much time, and, and we want to know these mm-hmm. places, but... One, I didn't want the love of money to be something that drove me. But, but you get in these environments where you are treated in some mm-hmm. ways, and it's easy for you. I've watched. I mean, I've been in too. countless of those rooms. Right. And, and we cannot ever forget, we follow a guy who took off his outer garment, wrapped a towel yeah. around his waist, and washed feet. Yeah. And, and <laughs> when we forget that or we think that we've right, or we think that we're special uh it is good to have folks in our lives who remind us jesus is special yeah i have a dear friend he always says we we all like saying we're servants until someone treats you like one yeah (laughs) yeah i love that and then we don't love that anymore but no um hey so so i would love to just i've been in your office a number of times you've seen me kind of grill you on on what your uh, approach to god's word is as just a child of god yeah uh uh, walk me through kind of what that process is you use this whole color coding process yeah Walk, because I know that that is one of your passions. It's certainly one of mine. Uh, love looking into God's word, but I also just love hearing about how other people digest God's word yes. and make it personal. So I, st- I study the Bible the same way, whether I'm doing it personally, devotionally, or whether I'm doing it pastorally. And it begins with uh, a prayer. So I always pray and, and ask the Lord in particular, speak to me from your word. Allow your Holy Spirit to light your word up to me, and then I'll read through. And I always will have a blank sheet, and so I'm either writing notes, and I'll read through, and whatever the Lord shows, I always pray again and say, hey, thank you, Lord, now now show me more. And I'll keep going through that if, if, if it's a particular passage, and then I begin to move toward the highlighting mm-hmm. of, okay, where's God in this text? He's a certain color where commands, those are green for me, you know, where's the benefit or implications of the gospel? Those are orange. And and what I do, yellow is always like uh, Paul did this or the church at Ephesus did this. So the people that are in there, and then I have some other colors, most often purple ends up being like the nations or other, but, but pink and purple are alternates for me, depending on what text you're in. And then what I do is I I, I love, I, I highlight it. And that way I can see it's just another way, and I read through every time, so I don't cheat. 
I'll read through and I do all the blue and then I read through and do all the green. I read through and do all the other so that it's mm-hmm. just one more time for it to get in, get in, get in. And then even when I'm, I'm looking, so now if I were to turn, I can look and see in that page. I, I've done with Psalms, some of the prayers, here, here are the commands, mm-hmm. here are the benefits. So Psalm 119, here are the benefits of his word. Mm-hmm. His word does this and this and this. And then here are the petitions mm-hmm. that, that Paul, pre- so having those colors just helps it pop out to me too, uh, to further whatever I can do to get the word in me so that the word will come out of mm-hmm. me then that's what we're, we're trying to do. And everyone can have their own system. It's just important you have a system because mm-hmm. the goal isn't just to read it and to go on. Uh, Psalm 1 really talks about meditating on the word day and night. And the only way we can meditate is if we give intentional thought toward it and we have a way of trying to internalize or memorize. Meditating is facilitated by memorizing. So for me, that, that's the way. So I don't even, I don't, I don't go to computers. I don't go to commentaries. I don't go to anything until I've had a lengthy time just in, it, in praying, reading, praying, reading, praying, reading, highlighting, and then just writing. And I, you know, having been in your office and, and kind of seen what your Bible looks like with all those colors, it, it really, it, it underscored the idea almost every Sunday you will make reference of the idea of, of, hey, if you're not in God's word, yeah. you need to be. It doesn't need to be color-coded. It doesn't, you know, right. you just be in God's word on a daily basis and watch it change your life. Yes. And, and almost every week, you will, you will say something along those lines. And you can tell why, right? It flows from a heart that is already absorbed by who God is, yeah. you know, and, and, and just that mindset. So uh, I appreciate that every week. Lynn, and I, pre- I appreciate having you as my pastor. Yeah. I appreciate the fact that you go deep into God's word uh, and that every week, you know, we're just going to walk through a passage and to be able to understand what God's word says, not necessarily a thousand other sources, but no. what God's word yeah. says. And uh, I think that has been something that has really edified our uh, church, but also edified our region as well. And so, Lynn, and I appreciate you jumping really on the kind. show today. Thank you, James. And uh, yep. thank you for your leadership here in our area and, and for your leadership at Hebron Church as well. Appreciate you. Thank you, man. Thank you for joining us on the Joy of Leadership podcast, where we emphasize the blessings of leadership and our call to this vital role. 